0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Wrestling With Memories. I'm joined by Fash the Million Dollar Fan and I'm Wax the Brain Hussein. And get ready for another episode where we run through the glory days of the WWF, WWE and wrestling in general in 1991. Fash, how are you doing?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the World Podcasting Federation proudly brings to you its tag team champions of the world, He is Wax, I am Fash, we are Wrestling With Memories, and if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you, please subscribe, (laughs) I'm Will Wax, how are things your end? Very good,
0: thank you, very good, just excited to be talking about wrestling again.
1: Well, I thought you'd be excited a little bit more because um, a little birdie tells you my sources tell me that it's your birthday today, and you're Uh. another year wiser, the brain's another year older. Yeah, the brain always
0: gets wiser and wiser every day and, uh, you know, age is just a number as they say. Uh, but yeah, I, it is my birthday, but I would rather uh, be talking wrestling than doing anything else.
1: I'm um, sure you would, but the only thing I wanted to say was it might be your birthday, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to give you a title shot. I'm still the champion of the world. I'm going to remain the champion of the world. So you can enjoy your cake today. You can have a good time, but at the end of the day... You're never going to get that birthday present that you really want wax which is the world championship the championship which i have and will always have but with that out of the way i'm feeling good today i'm feeling good i'm glad it's your birthday i'm glad you're fit and healthy and what's your thoughts been just on our um first three shows and the kind of feedback
0: we've been getting? I mean it's certainly been uh, it's been a great time just chatting about wrestling like we've always done over the years um, but um, going back and reliving some of those moments um, for you know probably the first time in a long time um, it's certainly been very fun for me um, <clears throat> and just actually going back and thinking about how interesting wrestling was back then uh, and some of the big characters that deserve um, another look from you know our viewership at this point you know now that we're much older
1: and um, So certainly I've enjoyed it. Um, What sort of feedback have you been getting, Fash? It's been good so far. I mean, I just want to thank everyone that's been supporting us in these um, early days. It's great because, you know, that motivation really helps um and you know people giving us feedback and good ideas so various people actually people that we knew from the past some new people as well just um you know giving their comments ideas really liking what we're doing we have some podcast listeners who are doing the easy listening with we, um, we've got people who are watching on youtube and um, so no really value the support and um, i think in coming weeks we'll be giving shout outs to to the people that have been supporting us the most and you um, look it's really great and it's the kind of energy we're looking for uh, and hopefully we can continue to to entertain everyone and yeah just take everyone back which is the purpose of this um, podcast. I think when we started it with lockdown and various other things going on we thought it was a, a nice time to to kind of kick off um, and take everyone back into the golden era and, and you know all walk where we are today together. So yeah, the feedback's been great for my end. Um really appreciate the Instagram um followers, really appreciate everyone on Facebook and as I said through other means as well. It's been it's been great.
0: Right, Vash, let's kick off um, with our show today. What
1: are we going to cover? Well before I do that, I thought to to mention one thing in terms of Instagram. Now you in our last episode I talked about the nasty boys and how great they were. Well you yep. may have seen the results of our latest Instagram poll. And actually, as I knew, the majority did not agree with you. I think most agree with me that, though we respect everyone from the past, the nasty boys did suck relative to other teams. So I just wanted to kind of um, thank everyone that voted. And, you know, it's good to know that society um, hasn't hasn't let me down.
0: I think that's just, uh, you know, people have old older. They've forgotten the good old days. And, you know, they're all whinging little... So-and-so's... Well, as
1: Grand Monsoon would say, will you stop? (laughs) Yes, I will.
0: I will. So let's move on, Fash.
1: So I think where we left things off was WrestleMania 7. And at that point, I think we both agreed that maybe it wasn't the strongest three months for the WWF in 1991. We were still to come to the point we were watching it but we're we're in that phase now but but for me post Wrestlemania 1991 becomes a lot of fun Um, and I think that helped with us and our fandom and just you know people around us getting really excited about it so there were some really interesting storylines some really interesting characters a number of new people showing up And, you know, what you you found was it was the best of wrestling cheese and what you'd call wrestle crap, as well as just the greatness of wrestling and why we love it. So all the kind of things that we love are kind of visible in the the months post-WrestleMania. I mean, there was various debuts. um, There was departures. I think we're going to speak about two of the big debuts, um, but we'll get to that. And just interesting storylines. But I don't know. I mean, when I'm thinking about this year, and, you know, I was reminiscing about how I was feeling at the time. And what I think right now, but I can say uh, that I think the MVPs of 1991 after WrestleMania were Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker. I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
0: I think you've picked out two great names. Um, Undertaker had an incredible debut year with the WWF and he was involved in so much good stuff. Um, and he was built up to be this, you know, this monster and he, he proved, you know, in everything that he did. That he really was. And then in Jake the Snake Roberts, we've got one of the all time greats. And, you know, not just in the ring, but his psychology outside of the ring, just everything, the way he delivered his promos, the way he talked, you know, his his facial expressions. He was he was top notch.
1: Yeah. One of the best speakers ever, one of the best heels. And this is where, you know, I think it's his best phase. He's going to enter. Um, as the ultimate bad guy um, and you appreciate it so much. I think at the time they like say Undertaker just creeped people out right and Jake the Snake Roberts what he's going to become um, scared a lot of people as well but for me were the MVPs and we were on the road to SummerSlam post-WrestleMania because we're still in the four big event phase but I guess starting off with Jake he was part of one of the first kind of storylines coming out of WrestleMania so he'd had his blindfold match with Rick Martel, which you um, spoke about in the last episode. He actually gets involved in a feud with the Earthquake. So he's still a babyface. Um, and we're going to get you to explain these wrestling terms in one of our special little bonus episodes. But he's still a babyface, i.e. a good guy leading at WrestleMania. And he, he has an altercation with Earthquake, which leads to a match on Superstars of Wrestling. And one of the most shocking things happens as, as little kids watching this, Earthquake is going to squash the Undertaker's snake, Damien, and, and kill the snake. Now, this was quite harrowing for all children watching this back in the day. Um, and so one of the shocking things, actually, when you watch it on YouTube, even now, it's it's as entertaining as you'd think. But I, I want to point out that wasn't really a snake. Um, we learned years later that it was pantyhose with um, sausages stuffed in. So I, I can uh, say there was no animals were hurt during that episode. But this was the big kind of thing. You know, Damien was brought in as the key ally of Jake the Snake Roberts, the Snake. Um, so this was a big deal from a storyline perspective, and I say some of wrestling at its cheesiest best. But a quite unusual feud when you think about it. Earthquake, a big guy just off his feud with Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts, um, one of the most dangerous good guys, but it just felt like it would be a style mishmash. Um, interestingly, we're in a period of wrestling where everything wasn't settled on pay-per-view. So we didn't get a pay-per-view match between these two, but what we did get was various storylines on television, and their actual matches were on the house show circuit. So, i.e., the live events that fans would go to. Now, now following the squashing of Damien, um, Earthquake appeared on Prime Time Wrestling um, with Vince McMahon, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan, and he served something known as Quake Burgers to to the hosts. Um, eventually, as you can imagine, we learned that the Quake Burgers are actually Damien Burgers, and um, they've been eating Jake the Snake Roberts' pet. Um, this ultimately led to a series of matches which came to an end, uh, I think the start of July, Madison Square Garden, it was Earthquake versus Jake the Snake Roberts with Andre the Giant in Jake Roberts' corner. Um, and the match ended with, you'll be surprised, a clean pin victory. Jake Roberts DDT'd earthquake after a distraction from Andre and that actually ended the feud there. As I say we didn't get a pay-per-view match um, what I understand was supposed to happen at the time was they were trying to see if Andre could make a comeback so leading up to this there was various storylines were interjecting here um, or intersecting I should say with various managers were coming up to Andre and offering the services for him to return. He went through each of them rejecting them. The last one was Jimmy Hart He announces to the world that Earthquake and Andre the Giant are going to be his new tag team. Andre rejects this, gets attacked by Earthquake. And unfortunately, the reason behind this was Andre's mobility and health in general was pretty bad at this stage. He needed crutches, and this explained why. So essentially, he was in Jake's corner. And I understand what was supposed to happen was a tag team confrontation because also leading into SummerSlam, our man Tugboat, who you're a big fan of, Um, was in a six-man tag encounter. It was Tugboat and the Bushwhackers versus the Nasty Boys and Earthquake. But the man known as Tugboat turned on the Bushwhackers, aligned himself with Jimmy Hart and his cronies, and a new tag team was born. The Natural Disasters, Typhoon and Earthquake. And the original plan was supposed to be Jake Roberts and Andre taking on the Natural Disasters at SummerSlam. But because of Andre's health, that couldn't happen. So this event was kind of, you know, this altercation didn't take place. The feud between Earthquake and Jake Roberts was ended on a special. And then we'd move into the next phase, which would be the more interesting phase for Jake Roberts, as he'd get involved with another storyline. So I don't know, I mean, as I say, at this time, did you watch any of this live? Or was it once again...
0: it's amazing we always seem to remember the key moments of having watched them so you know earthquake squashing uh Damien allegedly uh, in the ring so uh, that certainly is, you know is bright in my memory but I don't really recall much else um about that that feud um but yeah you're right in that <clears throat> um Andre obviously was you know very hampered by that point um and uh uh, and no surprise that he didn't want to work with Earthquake because he doesn't like working with other big men. From what we know about Andre the Giant, um, he's never a fan of, of of all these other big wrestlers. And the interesting thing is, I mean, a snake is generally a, a heel animal if you think about it. So I've never really seen or heard of such sympathy for a snake as you know there was at that point in Jake the Snake's um, career. Uh, but again, you know, only Jake really could have got that much out of Earthquake. Um, uh, in that uh, angle um, and you know, his work in the ring and just outside it convinces you that you know there was a bit of emotion involved around the snake.
1: And he, at this point, he'd brought in another snake as part of that feud. So a much bigger snake, which was known as Lucifer, um, which was used in these matches. And I think this was a prelude to what was going to happen because as you've signposted it pretty well, Jake Roberts, when you look at the character, he wasn't your classic... Good guy or babyface, he was kind of an anti hero, um, you know, similar to a Roddy Piper, uh, an anti hero where people were cheering, but only because he was presented as a good guy. But when you look at the character, the way he, you know, approached everything, there was actually a great bad guy there. And actually, when he entered the WWF in 1986 87, he started off as a bad guy, but then he turned babyface, and this was, you know, quite a long stretch. But as you see, the character and the presentation was more suited to a heel. Um, I mean,
0: certainly, he reminds me a lot, or he's got a lot of similarities to the Stone Cold character who came later. Obviously, the Rattlesnake, and you know, a guy that was really should have been a heel if it had been ten years earlier. Um, and Jake's had, a, a, you know, very yeah, the loner character, dangerous, yeah.
1: cerebral. Um, the anti people like to cheer, and even you know, going back um, when Hulk Hogan was supposed to have this feud with Jake the Snake Roberts in '87. They did a segment where Jake Roberts DDT's Hulk Hogan. It wasn't shot for, for TV. It would have been if it went ahead, but the crowd was chanting DDT. Uh, and as soon as that happened, Vince McMahon kiboshed it, saying there's no way he's going to have, you know, anyone get a, a certain cheer over Hulk Hogan, which from a business perspective, you can understand. So, um, yeah, he was one of those characters ahead of his time. And as you say, great talker. And we were going to see the best of him.
0: Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. <laughs>
1: The other storyline I'm going to move to now, uh, post-WrestleMania, was a really big one. It was The Ultimate Warrior and The Undertaker. And and this, once again, was going to be wrestling at its best storyline-wise in this period. Um, As we know, WrestleMania 7, um, you reviewed it. The Ultimate Warrior defeated The Macho Man in a retirement match. He's no longer the champion, so what does he do next? Well, he appears on The Funeral Parlor, which was a show that um, Paul Bearer used to present um, back in the day. It was a replacement for the Brother Love show. The warrior appears on it. They have a back and forth. The undertaker then appears from one of the coffins that are standing there in the background, and he locks the ultimate warrior in the coffin for several minutes. Now, this is we're talking about the the snake being squashed, right? But a man actually being locked in that eartight coffin. This was, um, once again, pushing at the boundaries of what was largely... You know a family friendly audience, and um, what, what I remember here was, and I rewatched it the other day. You know, the several minutes people are rushing around trying to open this coffin, and the most interesting element was Macho Man on commentary because post WrestleMania. The matchman was now a commentator alongside Roddy Piper and Vince McMahon on Superstars. So initially, he's kind of happy about what's happened because they're still playing off the fact that he's got resentment. This is the man that ended his career. But as the segment goes on, the matchman's showing more and more concern, which is moving him towards what's eventually going to be his babyface turn. Um, So he's like, you know, there's panic, open this coffin up. Eventually, they get it open and Undertaker's just, sorry, the ultimate warrior's just lying there still. And this was quite a harrowing image in a different type of feud that you hadn't seen really taking things to to the dark side um once again it's a feud that this is what we saw on television what was happening on non-tv events was a a series of matches between the undertaker and the ultimate warrior which people can actually find online i'm sure but it was a series of body bag matches and a casket match as well have you seen any of these no, but I
0: I, I recall Undertaker uh, and early on he used to come out with a body bag and once he defeat his opponent he would put them in the body bag and you know that would be the, that would be the end of the end of them. So um, an interesting concept. I certainly think the casket match was uh, the next level to a body bag. The body, yeah, yeah, quite great on TV, did it? Um,
1: yeah, well, it was a thing. It. it didn't have the. I mean, it was. <laughs> I think it probably still gave the heebie-jeebies to a lot of kids <coughs> watching it. But you're yeah. right. I mean, what they evolved into initially the coffin match and then the casket match was bigger but one of my memories from this is and it was a uh, uh, you know the ultimate warrior won every single one of these matches interestingly um, and typically it would end with him grabbing the urn hitting the undertaker either zipping him up or you know putting him in the casket but they still kept undertaker really strong and this is something that maybe doesn't happen as much now with heels so in one of these matches that i saw he zips him up match ends warrior wins the match leaves the ring and the undertaker sets up while he's still zipped up in the bag. As one of the most badass images you can think of. Similarly with the casket, he just kinda gets up. But that was happening there. But this is where the intersection's gonna come back. So I don't know if you've got any. Yeah, so let's just
0: uh, let's just run back to the, the the parlor a second. There was a few things that I noticed obviously. Um first when all these officials start coming out and, and you know they're really selling this airtight container. Um, And the number of tools that they bring it with them is very impressive. (laughs) So, I mean, it starts off with a crowbar, move on to a hammer and a chisel. I'm not sure what they intend to achieve. Then somebody has a drill and quite quickly you hear somebody in the background shouting, bring an extension for the drill. So uh, it was just pure comedy at that point. Um, and then a sledgehammer. So they're actually sledgehammering the top of the coffin while the undertaker well, is lying still within in it, there. Exactly. Uh, which you think is a little bit, uh, dangerous. Uh, and then they eventually do get the, the sledgehammer open and, you know, warrior is knocked out and they have to, uh, I don't know who it was that was giving him mouth to mouth. It was, but, I, can't, uh, I can't remember if it, it was, it, it was the, Earl or, or it was somebody else, but, um, I certainly remember, uh, that quite vividly, and uh, eventually Warrior is, is woken up from it. Uh, and you know, it's not—it's not, it's not a Warrior that we've seen very often. Somebody who's down and out, vulnerable. You know, uh, vulnerable. A Warrior was—you uh, know—the ultimate uh, babyface. He was always getting—you uh, know—one up on everybody uh, in every segment that he did. Pretty much, this was the first time we'd really seen him um, in a lot of trouble. Uh, but it was it was really entertaining. It was a great skit and, and you had the commentary from Matchoman, Man, Vince uh, Man Vince Vince was amazing. You know, it's typical,
1: yeah. and we didn't realize here that Vince Man's the owner of the whole thing. Right? Yeah, I think exactly. most fans didn't realize for a number of years, and his over-the-top commentary of you know the funny thing is they're shouting at everyone else, but three of them didn't bother getting up and actually. And they're you. right next to where <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> exactly. It's a, um, uh, but, but yeah, it, it was experience. a tremendous
0: segment, and you're right. It's everything that's great about wrestling angles. It's it is a bit hokey, but it's entertaining, and you know, it's it's just all, it, it's brilliant.
1: And like I say, it's something that was different at the time. Now, uh, recently we've heard uh, like, so Bruce Pritchard say that they kept Warrior in the coffin for a bit longer, but just to teach him a lesson, all the guys that didn't like him, uh, which is a typical swipe at, at the Warrior. And they'd actually tried out the casket on Road Warrior Hawk. And they needed somebody of similar size. Warrior wasn't available, so they, they basically were tailor-made Hawk, who was a similar stature to the Warrior. They tested it on him. Um, but you know we're into this really dark storyline now, and this is where Jake the Snake Roberts is going to get involved as well. So he's done his earthquake thing. He's now a guest on the Funeral Parlor, and um, he says to Paul Bear that you know if the Ultimate Warrior lets him, he will teach him about the dark side and you know equip him to be able to face the un- uh, to be able to face the Undertaker. And Paul Bear is quite scared about this, which then leads to this alliance between the Ultimate Warrior and and Jake the Snake Roberts and the three tests. Um, So I can talk about these tests if you like, um, and how, you know, a great storyline it would have been. I think, you know, watching at that point, I think most people didn't get where this was going. Um, The old school fans of the time would have seen what was going on. And and leading up to this, Jake was acting a little bit different from, you know, what he was, say, four or five months before this. Um, But ultimately, you know, the first thing he does is Jake um, puts the Ultimate Warrior in a coffin, so he can get past that fear. Um, so these are, I say, wrestling cheese at best. You need to go and find these segments because the music, the way they're shot, the way they're acting, it's just all brilliant. It is, to, you know, wrestle trap at his best, but wrestle greatness as well, I'd call it. Um, and is brilliant to this. And the Warriors played his part perfectly as well. But they pass the first one, which is, you know, locking up in a coffin. He survives it. The second one is um, Jake tells Warrior that he's going to bury him alive. And he, and, he, and, he, and he does that, and he places a, a skull to look him straight in the eye. And, and what I remember about this is, and it's hilarious, is a um, warrior shouting, bury me, snake man, bury me, and he's, which he does, and he passes that test. And then we're on to the third one, and this is where the twist in the tale is going to be. Um, They're outside this room. Jake Roberts tells the Ultimate Warrior to go into the room, show no fear, Warrior has this trust with him. He said, you know, I've trusted you so far. I will continue to. Walks in his room. There's no lights there. Jake Robertson flicks the lights open. And there's a whole bunch of snakes all over the floor, right? Um, and Warrior starts kicking these snakes left, right, and center, which we learned years later. Jake Roberts wasn't happy about that. It wasn't supposed to happen. Um, but he's showing probably the genuine fear because these snakes were definitely not fake. Um, there's a box there. Jake tells him to open the box and this will complete the teachings. Um, So he slowly opens it. There's a big cobra there and the cobra strikes the ultimate warrior. And at that point, for the audience, the penny drops. Jake Roberts is in on this whole thing. Um, He opens the door. Warrior's on the ground. Jake's taunting him. And then you see him. At the feet of somebody, the Undertaker's music plays, the camera looks up, and the Undertaker's standing there with Paul Bear. And leading into this, Jake, the snake Roberts was saying, you know, to trust him. And he ends it with never trust a snake. And it is just a brilliant heel turn in terms of how they did this. And the fact that it actually makes sense as well. The alliance of an Undertaker with the Jake Roberts, the dark side, um, it was just brilliantly done when you look back, and I say super cheesy but um you know a really good way of shifting different characters and way better storytelling than what we were seeing at the start of the year
0: yeah and you know I think Jake obviously as you mentioned he's the star of this show um you know everything he did from his acting the way he would talk to uh the warrior um, uh, trying to convince him to do things uh was tremendous and warrior uh even though he was doing this, this weird grumbling noise, uh, rumbling noise all the time. You know, he did play his part. Um, he hammed it up really well. Um, it, it was a tremendous angle, you know, all three uh, skits that they did, they worked them really, really well. Uh, I was thinking he was, you, when Warrior was kicking away those snakes, um, the real WWF, the, the World Wildlife Fund, wouldn't be happy about that. Well, that's <laughs> uh, the thing, I mean. And, uh, and there was actually a moment in when, Jake, I think, says, you know, uh, on screen, uh, oh, careful, you don't have to hurt the snakes uh, or something along those You're right, lines. actually, he does, uh, he does say that. There is a line in there, and, you know, I thought that was very real. It probably was a very real At which moment. point um, Warrior
1: kicks them even harder. Yeah. And, no, I'm,
0: and, you know, I'm not surprised. If I was in the same situation as the Warrior, I'd be stomping on them. Um, you know, uh, he'd be terrified. Um, but it was a great setup. Uh, it's
1: just a shame it didn't show, obviously, anything beyond... And uh, well, the other coming in. Uh yeah. well, I think what it is now, then this is going to lead to SummerSlam, which we're going to discuss, even though there's not a match between these entities. But the whole idea was, you know, Warriors being struck by a cobra, can he make it to SummerSlam? Um, but the bigger shame is that we actually didn't get a continuation of this because, as we're going to discuss, the Warrior's are not going to be here for long. But I mean, just thinking about it, a series between Jake Roberts and the Warrior could have been really good. I mean, we're not saying from a end ring perspective though, would have been interesting to see what that dynamic would have been and if Jake could have done something but just from a storyline perspective where they started it and where they could have took it um you know it's still intriguing to this day and um they just kept missing each other after this Warriors going to go away then Warriors going to come back Jake's going to go away and then they're both going to land up in 1996 WWF but you know, it's interesting because
0: they they clearly didn't have a plan to put Jake and Warrior together because they moved Jake onto Macho Man at the end of. Uh, some, but the reason they that. did
1: that. Well, the reason we're going to discuss they did that because Warrior was gone. So the plan, yeah, because... I think, you know, there was an about face here. So the the feud was supposed to be those two, and then ultimately, you know, Undertaker going with Hulk Hogan. But as we'll discuss, the Ultimate Warrior, um, you know, isn't going to be around post SummerSlam, which meant that they had to then move the pieces and move Jake Roberts and The Undertaker to, I would say two other characters, not just Matchman, because there was somebody before that, which we'll get to. But it was one of those situations of a shame, because circumstances meant that the storyline didn't go anywhere. And actually, you know, on pay-per-view, the Warrior never got his revenge. So that this is going to be, sadly, the end of the storyline, but it was a great setup. And I think, you know, the most memorable storyline when it comes to post-WrestleMania, to yep. SummerSlam 1991. There was another big debut that was going to take place. Uh, somebody was going to come over from WCW and his name was Sid. Um, at this point, he was known as Sid Vicious in WCW and WCW. He was part of WCW, I think, since around 1989. Initially part of a team called the Skyscrapers with um, Dan Spivey, who would later on become known as Wheel and Mercy, for those that were watching mid-90s WWF. Um, he then becomes part of the Four Horsemen in 1990. Um, and I don't know, you know, as a fan, as you are a knowledgeable fan today, do you know why he was uh, brought into the Four Horsemen? The, the, the great reason behind him? It was uh, to cover against Robocop,
0: wasn't it? Yep. To, <laughs> to,
1: so, <laughs> and that's that's an episode for another day, right?
0: That sentence just doesn't sound right, does it? To cover against Robocop, but the, you know that was the angle um, that he was going to be the enforcer of the the four horsemen, the the beast.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, but... WCW at this point folks was trying really hard to be WWF light and it wasn't working and one of the storylines was um, using the cross-promotion of Turner Broadcasting um, and the film Robocop and Robocop and Sting became a bit of an alliance for a little bit and Sid was brought as the counterweight so um, yeah not the best storyline and when it comes to around about the summer of 91 Sid's contract's coming to an end he seems a huge prospect. I mean, you know, the size, the charisma, the power. Um, and obviously, WWF are interested. WCW tried to keep him, or from a bigger contract, promise of a world title, but he's, he wants to go up north, as they say. And um, we started to see vignettes of a Sid justice. Um, but these vignettes were really interesting because straight away, you could tell that this guy was a big deal. Because it started off with, you know, the true images of Sid but it'd be other wrestlers and managers talking about him and them not really explaining if he was going to be a good guy or a bad guy here. So I remember the likes of Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake Roberts, Mr. Perfect, um, and his manager at the time, the coach, various people talking about Sid and how he was their kind of guy and had this whole hype around him, which at the time was, you know, quite unique. And and you could tell, you know, retrospectively, Vince had big plans for him and what it leads into is they announced Sid to be the guest referee of the main event of SummerSlam 91, and that main event is going to be Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior against the Triangle of Terror. Yes, folks, we still can't get rid of Sergeant Slaughter general adnan and colonel mustafa so that's still going on the reason we've not mentioned hulk much in this period is because he was still kind of you know involved in a feud with sergeant slaughter but you know it was a great position that they were going to debut Sedden. and you could tell there was some major plans here because even after he's announced as the referee you know everyone's hyping him and whose side is he going to be on um so i guess what are your your thoughts of said at that time and um did you buy him as a you know young six seven year old as this guy's going to be the, the next big thing here? Who is he?
0: Yeah, I mean, firstly, his his run in WCW was quite short relative to you know uh, to others in the company, and the fact that he got exposure as part of the Four Horsemen really did help put him on TV and uh, you know just give him that extra um, look for the viewers. But I mean, his size alone, his physique, you know, he is a specimen of a guy, and you can tell the first time Vince McMahon laid eyes on him. He was probably wetting himself with you know excitement <laughs> yeah, of this, this guy my, my next Hulk Hogan, yeah, and it's interesting though watching said you were never really sure whether to cheer him or boo him even when you know he was a good guy or a bad guy because he was just such a monster you know he he would he would be everybody in his path when he was uh in both sides, and you know his, his the way of talking he was you know was like vicious and aggressive and um it really played well for his character, but yeah, when I seen him. Come out um, to do that interview segment with uh, Mean Gene, um, Sergeant Slaughter, and his cronies were actually, you know, quite delighted with the news. They were, you know, clapping. They were really happy having seen him last as a heel in WCW. They probably thought, oh, here's a, here comes an advantage for us. But out he comes and he tells them um, that he's going to make sure that justice is served. Um, uh, one way or another and yeah, I, I certainly believed he was a beast and I thought that he well, could, then the crowd went crazy I thought he that. could legitimately you know beat any of the top WWF guys when he came
1: well he's, he was towering over all of them as you see in that segment when he goes you know he's not on their side um, he's not going to join their core the crowd goes crazy so straight away he's positioned as a top guy I mean I was at this point a big Sid Mark in terms of you know bottom as the big good guy and you know the fact that he was just this kind of he was going to destroy everyone but ultimately he's not going to have a match until post SummerSlam, but just the way he was positioned was was really good, and and then he has a similar segment with him um, Hogan and Warrior getting interviewed, and he comes out then, and he's essentially saying that he's not on their side either. So it was a really interesting dynamic, and it helped that main event because otherwise, even though it's a handicap match, I don't think people are that interested in, in you know another kind of slaughter and co versus even you know if it's a dynamic duo of. Warrior and Hogan, so this certainly, you know, was a great way to, to increase interest. And at the time, you know, not everyone knew who this guy was because, you know, we'll discuss it. But most WWF fans, mainstream fans, were not aware of what was going on in WCW. Um, WCW tried its best to job him out before he left. I mean, his last match is a two minute match with L Gigante, who will discuss as the Giant Gonzales in the future, and. Um, you know, Sid is supposed to lose to him in a stretcher match, but just gets pinned and leaves. <laughs> Doesn't He's even supposed bother to go Vince out through.
0: on a stretcher at the end, but yeah, he, he, he refused and nobody's yeah, gonna mess around with Sid. I, so
1: and it didn't impact his WWF debut because yeah, people weren't bothered about that. The ones that knew fine, but the majority didn't. So you know, he was positioned as a top guy. And when you know, people say that Vince gets accused sometimes of not promoting talent from WCW, and and you know. I think there's a lot of truth to that in the future but when it came to certain people that were not that well known and he felt that he could make big money from or they were established and he felt you could make big money from that at this stage in the WWF, he was pushing them be it the LOD be it Sid and another gentleman that we're going to speak about shortly. Let's address the elephant in the room, Wax, we've not spoken about one development, which actually at the time was the biggest development in modern day professional wrestling, and that was Ric Flair leaving WCW and jumping to the World Wrestling Federation. Um, This was absolutely huge at the time, Um, but we're not going to talk about it right now. It's such a big moment in professional wrestling. Um, that we'll discuss it in the next episode, and I know you've got a lot to say about this.
0: Yep, fash I can't wait to talk about Ric Flair. He was the greatest of his generation, in my opinion, uh, and this little run that he has with the WWF is amongst there as one of the best runs that you know anybody has come into the WWF on. Uh, he, you know, he's just a tremendous wrestler. He's a tremendous promo. He's just everything about him. You know, I loved him back in the day, and I can't wait to talk about him uh, in the next
1: episode. Well, this is it. Two worlds are going to collide. The NWA, WCW stalwart is going to enter into Hulk Hogan's territory, but will the WWF handle it properly, and is he going to be recognized as much as he should be by the WWF audience? But that's what we're going to discuss next time um, and also cover SummerSlam as well, because all of this is going to be intertwined. But I hope you're going to wear your Ric Flair robe. I hope you're going to be ready to style in profile. Um, the real world champion is coming. Um, the other real world champion is sitting here. But as it stands, why don't we um, cut this episode off, Wax? We've covered quite a lot of things. Um, so I'll let you say our uh, sayonara to the audience. Yep. Can't wait, Fash. Looking forward to
0: the next episode. And I'm looking forward to taking that title off you, too. <laughs>